Welcome to episode 129 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and I am super grateful that you have chosen to spend this time with me. Whether this is your first or your 129th episode, I hope you hear something that will make you smile, spark an insight, improve your business, and maybe even change your life. As those of you who are regular listeners know, it has been something of a challenging summer here at the Introvert Entrepreneur Headquarters. I've experienced lots of change in my personal life, which means sometimes the professional side of things got a little bit derailed. And so I'm attempting to get back on the rails again, and I had the flash of an idea this week that I'm going to take action on. I have a coaching client who was sharing her favorite parts of a book she was reading called Creativity Inc. about the founding of Pixar. One of those ideas that stood out for her was this concept of a war room, which is um, in a company, it's a physical space that's dedicated to creative thinking. And hierarchy is smashed and everything's on the table, or it might be on the floor or the windows or the whiteboards or the walls. When I heard about this, and I'd heard of the concept before, but it just kind of struck me new, I thought, I want a war room. But I work alone, not in a big company, and the name war room doesn't really resonate with me. Plus, it's not so much brainstorming that I need as much as I need direct feedback that might lead to that brainstorming. I've taken some of these ideas and stuff that I've had to my mastermind group, but I feel like um, I need to expand that feedback loop into community because I have lots of ideas and there's lots of potential floating around, but none of it is really grounded in community. So this is where I'm asking for your help. I'm opening up two virtual focus groups, which is my version of a war room, to get your feedback and ideas about what you want to see from the introvert entrepreneur in the coming year. Space is limited to 10 people per group, and we're meeting on the Zoom video conferencing platform on Wednesday, September 27th. Group A is scheduled for 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, and Group B will meet at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're outside the United States and want to join us, I hope that one of those times will work in your time zone. If you can't make either of the groups or they're full by the time you register, you can still share your email with me, and I'm happy to send you an email back with some information and questions for you to provide some feedback on. The link to register, whether it's for the live call or if you want to go the email route, you can follow the link, theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash focus group, and I will um, include that link in the show notes. You can just go to that link, pick your group, then join us on Zoom at the appointed time, and I'll present to you some of these ideas, and um, you'll get kind of a behind-the-scenes look at some of the things that are bubbling up, and you'll have a chance to just share your opinion and your feedback. The call will last about an hour. And I really appreciate you considering my invitation, and I really do hope that you'll join us. Now let's dive into my conversation with today's guest, Justin Crawford. It seems serendipitous to be chatting with him just as I'm thinking about breaking my own silos and isolation in my business. Justin is the founder of Agents of Efficiency and author of the international best-selling book, Live Free or DIY. 
Justin has been featured in over 200 major media outlets, from CNBC and network television interviews to Forbes and many other publications. He speaks regularly on the issues of growth hacking and startup and small business operational process refinement. His expertise has helped both small and gigantic companies dramatically improve their operational efficiency, yielding profound savings and unlocking their deep potential for growth. You'll find information on how to connect with Justin, as well as links to his Introvert Island book selections, in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the conversation. Hi, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Well, what is making you smile today? What is making me smile today? Back to school. Uh, about, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I uh, took in four foster children and adopted them not too long ago. And it, it can be challenging during the summer with all of them up on you. So back to school is a very happy yes. moment for us. <laughs> a little bit more balance in our lives. <laughs> exactly. You love it when they're home and you love it when you are home alone. <laughs> yes. Especially introverts. We uh, need some alone time <laughs> as well as some time with others. Yes, we do. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, that's a graceful lead into my next question and that's <laughs> about where you feel like you fall on that introvert extrovert spectrum and how has that awareness influenced you on your path? I definitely would classify myself as an introvert. Uh, I think Myers-Briggs would call me an ISTJ with uh -huh. the I being that introvert piece. Right. Um, but if we look at introvert and extrovert as a spectrum, I I'm a little bit more towards the middle. I'm not super extreme uh, like my wife is. Yeah. And so there's some debate amongst friends and colleagues about whether or not I'm an introvert, but I think it's definitely true that I am an introvert. Yeah. It's helped me as an entrepreneur just because I think that one of the most as important, if not more important than knowing what my strengths are, is being honest and clear about what my weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. And some very powerful weaknesses of mine is I am the world's worst salesman. I hate parties. Mm -hmm. I hate networking mm -hmm. or anything that feels in the least way inauthentic. Yeah. And while I love honest, authentic, one-on-one -on -one conversations, just having a beer with someone with no agenda, if I feel like there's an agenda, you know, especially if you tack the word networking on the front of something, I want to run for the hills. Mm -hmm. I measure my time away from my family by the minute. Uh, <laughs> and so... That is not terribly conducive to a terribly effective sales strategy for most small businesses. Yeah. And so I need to be aware of those limitations and surround myself with people who are just the bipolar opposite of me. Mm. And I've got a great team of people around me who just could not be any more aggressively different. They love everything that I just said that I abhor. <laughs> yeah. It's helpful to know that so you can find those people and creating relationships with them. Absolutely. Um, where do you feel like it's been most beneficial? Like what kind of job task has been the biggest relief for you to have a partner with? Definitely sales has been extremely helpful for me. So I am a huge nerd. I'm a big process guy. Um, I love sitting behind a computer, thinking through complex strategy, creating automation, getting into the weeds of code, mm -hmm. playing with all of that stuff. But I don't shine as well at always trying to be super emotive and super energetic and engaged. 
being on the phone with, with clients, going to networking events, things like that. So I've surrounded myself with people who are much more charismatic than I am, who are great public speakers, mm-hmm. who actually enjoy traveling around the world, giving those speeches and presentations and don't mind the time away from their family like I would, mm-hmm. who are great salespeople, who are great being at the phone, who actually enjoy networking. And I've just focused more on what I do better. Yeah. Well, I, I want to hear uh, the story about how you created Agents of Efficiency and um, what you uh, – I'm wondering if part of the story is about one of the ways I think introverts can create a sustainable business is by creating a business that they don't have to be the person all the time. Um, like they and the business are not necessarily synonymous with one another. And what you just described makes me think you have set up something like that. Like Justin definitely is the founder, CEO, you know, the the heart and soul. And you have created it in such a way that you have champions and surrogates and, and whatnot that enable you to be able to focus on what you do best and let others carry some of the other weight. You know, that's a, a really interesting insight. I've never... I've never heard anything like that articulated in that way before, and I've never mm-hmm. conceptualized my journey in terms of being an introvert or anything. Yeah. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the very first questions that I have ever asked, that I always ask whenever I start a new business, and I've started a number in my year, I've grown a few multi-million dollar companies from the ground up, mm-hmm. is always, how do I make myself obsolete? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm generally allergic to putting my name on anything. Mm -hmm. I never like to name businesses after myself, Mm -hmm. which was awkward when I was running a law firm because there's actually ethical guidelines that kind of forced me to. But generally speaking, you would never know by the name or branding that I'm behind anything. And the first question on my mind and what I perseverate on from day one is how do I make myself obsolete? How do Mm -hmm. I eventually you know, make it so that this company not only survives, but thrives without me? Mm -hmm. And I've never conceptualized that as an introvert thing, but I could see why that would be. I could see why a really charismatic extrovert guy is much more comfortable putting their name on things, mm-hmm. having things revolve around them. They like to be in the weeds. They like to be engaging with the customers day in and day out. The stuff that they enjoy doing the most makes it the hardest for them to extract themselves from their business, yeah. whereas us introverts find it easier to back off. Yeah. And and like you said, you know, create something from the very beginning where we have that flexibility and freedom to do so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. (laughs) Well, thanks for going there with me to kind of uh, explore that (laughs) a little bit. Um, Well, specifically, like you said, you've you've founded multiple companies and and where you came across my path was in your role as um, founder of Agents of Efficiency. So would you tell us a little bit about how you came to create that and then, and by extension, write your latest book, which just came out, Live Free or DIY? Which is all about making yourself obsolete and getting out of the weeds, indeed. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I I stumbled into Agents of Efficiency completely by accident. I, I really stumbled into the whole entrepreneurial bag totally by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking to go to law school back in 2003 as part of a track I was on since high school to become a judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, never even knew what an entrepreneur was, nor did I care to be one. <laughs> but I found myself just as a way to pay my way through law school uh, at the head of an international shipping company that was managing complex marine operations for the largest global container shipping company in the world. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself is a story, but we only have so much time. Um, And so... (laughs) Part two. (laughs) Yeah. 
so as I went through law school, uh, I just got the reputation of, you know, the entrepreneur genius who happens to be going to law school. Hmm. So when I was looking to graduate rather than just apply for an associate position or do a clerkship and do the traditional track towards judge like I normally would, I had a law professor that asked me if I would help him start the law firm. Mm -hmm. And he would teach me what it's like to be a lawyer. I would teach him how to run a business and how to grow his firm. And then I had someone from McKinsey and Company and Harvard Law approach me about a web tech business that was geared towards law students that they were trying to start at the time but were really struggling. So he brought me on as the CEO of that. And before I knew it, I actually had a pretty diverse portfolio of companies that I was managing mm -hmm. and a very large employee staff that was relying on me um, to feed their families and to take care of their needs. Yeah. And so when I was offered the path that I was looking for um, on a, a court just below the Supreme Court to be a judge, I had to turn it down because mm -hmm. I would have betrayed all of those families. And as I had this diverse portfolio, before I knew it, I had startup CEOs and small business owners from Silicon Valley to New York City um, seeking me out, asking for my advice, asking for my help. And it allowed me to learn a great deal about the struggles that they had in common to uh, find opportunities for pain points that they had in common and solutions and how to help them grow. And Agents of Efficiency was really my effort to scale my efforts to something bigger than myself mm -hmm. um, so that I could help more people. And that's how it kind of came about. Yeah. And tell us in a nutshell, I've, I've introduced you before we had our conversation, but tell us in a nutshell, what is the, the mission of Agents of Efficiency? It is to free small business owners from the drudgery of running a small business, all of those boring back-end weeds that are necessary mm -hmm. to run a business but bog us down and distract us from our focus and passion and from the core competency of the business and hold down not just business profits and effectiveness, but even personally hold down our lives. Mm -hmm. it, it actually started as a tech company that I ran through a startup competition in New York City and has since pivoted um, mm -hmm. based on feedback I was getting from people that the last thing they need is one more piece of tech. Mm -hmm. And so what we do these days is we, we serve as an outsourced COO. So we come alongside small business owners as their chief operating officer, yeah. and we bring with us a vast network of expert service providers um, and strategists in marketing and finance, et cetera, bookkeeping firms, HR firms, et cetera. And we craft a plan to automate all of that boring business stuff that's gucking up their operations, mm -hmm. get them more focused on what they do best, and watch the profits come in as a result. Nice. Well, congratulations on that evolution. And, and it sounds like pivoting successfully. You know, I, I, that's a great example of listening to what your market is telling you. Yeah. And, uh, and being flexible. It's a painful thing to invest six months and uh, yeah. probably six figures into building something that nobody wants. Yes. And to have people tell you that you have an ugly baby. Yeah. <laughs> but it was much better for me to learn that lesson then. And I, I never set out to start what's you know, categorically, I think a coaching and consulting firm, mm -hmm. that was never something I was interested in, but the market told me that that's what people needed. Yeah. And the way we're doing it is 
truly unique from any firm that I've run across. And so we are carving out a very powerful niche in the world. Yeah. It's just, we have some cool tech, but it's different right. than what I started out with. Right, exactly. Well, that goes along with something that I'm often, um, I, I guess I'll use the word preaching, <laughs> whether it's in the podcast <laughs> or with clients, and that's um, being open to outcome, not attached. You know, if you had been overly attached to it being a tech company and, and delivering that particular thing, you would not have had the openness to be able to hear what people were telling you. You would have probably lost a lot more than just the six months and the money that you had already invested. So yeah, it seems like a great example. I, I also like to preach to people, uh-huh. and this might be the pessimistic lawyer in me that is constantly yeah. thinking about uh, how things can go wrong, but with any new venture, I always start out very aware of that failure is an option. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And not only is it an option, but it's a common one. Mm-hmm. And we set out how to define failure. What does failure look like? At what point do we cut our losses and just move on to the next venture? Mm-hmm. And I've got a, I had a great founding team with Agents of Efficiency that talked about that regularly yeah. and would actively look for any signs. Um, that there just isn't a need here. And it was only when we were kind of overwhelmed with the need and how tight the product market fit was that we continued forward. Yeah. You just said something that really got me excited because you said (laughs) when we, you know, we often talk about defining success for ourselves, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, how do we define failure? (laughs) And, And that's such a great question. Um, it's almost like the equivalent of saying, what's the worst that can happen? How would we deal with it? You know, that there's a Dale Carnegie sort of uh, train of thought around that particular one. But it's it's like a variation on that saying, you know, what would failure look like? It seems like that's a great point to get clear. Yeah. For one, there's the psychology of sunk costs. And once we start getting in, we're, we're really reticent to admit that we've made mm-hmm. mistakes. Right. Uh, but then also it's, it's important to walk in eyes wide open with the risks. Yep you take. Um, I've taken some very, very big risks in my life and I make some big gambles all the time. Some of them I've won, some of them I've lost, Mm -hmm. but I always go in with my eyes wide open. And that's, that's important because lives get sad and people go into bankruptcy and have great regrets when they don't walk in with eyes wide open. They walk in just very optimistic and haven't calculated what could happen if things don't go their way. Absolutely. Well, I want to f- I want to follow up on um, the book piece, and and this is interesting. I don't think I've ever done this before, where I'm referring to just the episode that I will have published just before this, which is <laughs> about publishing to support your business or having a book to support your business. And I'm curious about what led you to what was your intention with writing Live Free or DIY, and how did that come about? It it did come about totally candidly as the go-to marketing tactic for a consulting and coaching firm. So once we Mm -hmm. pivoted away from being a tech company, it was the obvious next step. As soon as I wound down what I called digital COO at the time, then the next Mm -hmm. question in my mind is, okay, so then what do I need to build to make this new version work? And the obvious answer is, oh, a book. Uh, It lends credibility. It Mm -hmm. creates a a great lead magnet. Um, But then enter in my, uh, I don't know, perfectionist, introverted, just annoying kind of personality. <laughs> and if, if I'm going to put my name on something, I refuse for it to just be a giant glorified pamphlet for our company. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to write a book, it needs to be genuinely innovative, genuinely useful, and something that has inherent value, whether or not anyone ever does business with us at all. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I believe I've done that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm proud of what I've written. Uh, Inc.'s going to list us as one of five must-read business books alongside Elon Musk and Adam Grant and three others or two others pretty soon. Mm, awesome. um, great reviews so far. Kirkus Reviews has recommended it. It's, it's gotten, you know, it's an international bestseller. It's gotten a lot of positive feedback, traction, reviews. So I think I've done that. But in the journey, when I was working with my publishing firm, it, it did become a question because they're, they're, we had to have a certain conversation at a certain point of what's your end game here? Are you trying to switch careers and become a professional author? Mm-hmm. Because if so, we think this book could take you there, but that's a very different business model than Agents of Efficiency. Right. And you're going to need to treat this book as your product and mm-hmm. market it accordingly and go all in with your time and resources to making that happen. Or is your primary passion and purpose still agents of efficiency, in which case you're going to need to spend fewer resources on marketing this and fewer time, and the book will not be as successful Mm -hmm. as a result. And so that conversation, I was very grateful to have that clarifying conversation with my publisher. And and I did choose the latter. We are focused on AOE. I do not invest almost anything into marketing the book or hyping it or trying to continue to Mm -hmm. blow it up. Um, it's a means towards an end, not an end of itself. Yes. But I do think that's a, toward the subject of your most recent podcast, I think that's an important thing for anyone entering into that marketing strategy to be very clear on yeah. because it's very easy to get yourself lost in the weeds of you know marketing a specific product. And there, and there can be a lot of vanity mm-hmm. wrapped into it. Absolutely. It's, it's very nice to read all the comments on Amazon about what people are saying about it and things. And so it's, it's important to know that every single dollar and hour that I spend marketing the book itself is a dollar and an hour that I'm not spending marketing agents of efficiency or helping more small businesses or building out tech to optimize our processes, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for um, sharing that part of the process, because that's one that I don't think that we hear about too often. It's not a question, um, and it can lead to an identity crisis. <laughs> you know, am I am I the the entrepreneur? Am I the author? Or am I both? And what does that mean? And where does that mean that I put my resources? And what's next? So, thank you for for bringing that into it. Yeah. Before we uh, close out, I want to touch on a bit about efficiency itself, you know, um, (laughs) where and why business owners lose efficiency and what they can do about it. So perhaps, you know, what are some of the biggest obstacles to efficiency? And actually, let me back up for a second. How do you define efficiency when you're working with a business? Um, I generally... Uh, again, the, the nerd in me who reads too much kind of academic literature and formal stuff, um, I correlate efficiency w- with the, the term waste, mm-hmm. as you would probably read about in an MBA program. Mm-hmm. And so basically any hour or dollar that is invested, um, that is being spent, that is not adding direct value to your customer is waste. And so an efficient operation is the one that minimizes waste Mm -hmm. and has the maximal output for every dollar an hour spent. That's generally how I define efficiency. Okay. And where do you find that the the biggest holes in efficiency tend to be? Within small business owners, I find it is always focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of the reasons that we have focused agents of efficiency necessarily, in my opinion, around a coaching relationship uh, without just focusing exclusively on execution and consulting and strategy is because it's lack of focus that is the biggest driver of inefficiency. And there's a lot of great reasons for it. You're, you're being thrown a million little tasks and each one feels 
like it's not big enough mm -hmm. to hire a full-time person to do. And of course, you know, nobody cares about your small business as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And you're the one that did these the first time in the first place and developed all the processes. So you feel like, well, it's going to take me longer to train somebody and babysit them to do it than it will to just do it myself. And, yep. and they're not going to do as good of a job. And that, that mentality snowball just creates a mindset where far too few people in a small business are wearing far too many hats and they're focused on everything but what they should be focused on. What they're not doing is thinking about business model strategy, new and exciting ways to listen to their customers, to innovate how to create a better and better customer experience for their customers and grow the business. And instead, they're just more focused on bookkeeping and HR nonsense and mm -hmm. putting out the latest fire and whatever customer X happens to be yelling about this week and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so that's what we tend to focus on is how, how can we extract them from that overwhelming sense of drowning mm -hmm. and get them the clarity and focus, break up the value chain, create the processes that kind of streamline those things and get that ship righted. Well, you hit on one of my theories about introvert entrepreneurs specifically, and that is that it's easier to do it myself, or if you want it done right, do it yourself. And it can make it difficult. You know, I, I think that sometimes we might get in our own way because we, my husband calls me a Swiss army knife. So if I need to have something done and I don't know how to do it, I'll figure it out. And, and so therefore I've got all of those different hats that you talk about, or, you know, the tweezers and the knife and the, the whatever you know, the bottle opener, um, <laughs> no. all there, but that's not necessarily what's going to be in my best interest, nor in the best interest of my customers, my clients, uh, my community. And I know I'm not alone in that <laughs> in terms of, um, you know, feeling it to be difficult to reach out for help and to bring others into my process to train them if necessary, or, or turn over control for certain things. To those of us like that, which it sounds like you, you work with some like that, um, what are some small ways that we can start and ease into that process of growing our team? Um, I think that, and I'm not sure, I'd like to do an academic study or something here, see if there's some way I could verify this. You, <laughs> you seem to be the one that's more versed in the language of introversion versus extroversion than myself. But I would imagine there may be a correlation between um, one's level of introversion and perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a dangerous, dangerous trap. It's certainly yeah. one that I suffer from mightily. It's mm -hmm. one of my biggest weaknesses and something I have to fight against all the time. Um, frankly, uh, most hires that I've ever made for at least a couple years don't do as good of a job on whatever I hired them to do as I would have done. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I am a bit of a Swiss Army knife and, and can do a lot of things very well and I'm passionate and focused and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And so being able to let go of that perfectionism and know that if you want to build something bigger than yourself, then the quality of your company is only as good as the quality of your team. Mm -hmm. Period, full stop. Yeah. And until you let go of that ideal of perfectionism and control mm -hmm. and accept the fact that when you do hand things off to other people, mistakes will be made, uh, balls will be dropped, they will not always do it as well as you, <laughs> and that that's part of the team building that's necessary to build something bigger than yourself, mm -hmm. um, you're not going to 
move the ball forward at all. And and maybe what you want is some sort of like coaching business or, or consulting business or something where you don't want to build a company bigger than yourself. It is just you. Mm-hmm. And if so, fine, great. Yeah. Perfectionize yourself until you, you know, pass out from exhaustion. But <laughs> if if your goal is to build something bigger than yourself, yeah. it's all about team building and just accept letting go of that perfectionism, accepting those mistakes and working with that. Yeah. To me is step one. Yeah. And I, I could get into a lot of other steps and leadership concepts, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think that that's the most foundational one. Yeah, absolutely. It, it strikes me that it's when, when, whether you're an introvert, extrovert, you know, matter how experienced or Swiss army knife you might feel, um, bringing others into the business, um, particularly if they are acting as surrogates for you and, you know, perhaps doing a training mm-hmm. that you would usually do or, you know, something else that allows you to expand your reach. It's a real confrontation of ego, um, you know, thinking about like, like you said, you know, they, maybe they don't do it, um, uh, the same way or they, they do something differently than you would do it or they, they accomplish the same goal, but they do it differently. And so it's, it can start to challenge like your own feelings of, uh, well, your own ego (laughs) of, (laughs) you know, my way is the best way, or I thought of this or whatever. And then somebody else comes in and does it, achieves the same thing, or maybe even does it better. It's like, ooh, ouch, you know. So you really have to be open to um, that experience and that learning and really surrounding yourself ultimately with people who probably maybe are better than you, you know, not to put qualifiers on it, but that can exceed what you would have been able to do. And that's part of it, too, is I think oftentimes perfection is defined by my own worldview Mm -hmm. and my own understanding of how I set it up in the first place. So since I set it up from scratch from day one, since the way I've been doing things is the ideal. Mm-hmm. So any deviation from that is definitionally less than ideal. When in fact, maybe the way you set it up is actually kind of dumb because you're not <laughs> at your core an accountant or at your core mm-hmm. a digital marketing expert. Right. And so if you bring in someone who genuinely is smarter and more experienced than you are in that little niche, they may do things a lot different from you, but if you're humble enough to see it, mm-hmm. it may actually be better, but it's not going to feel that way initially because it's going to be different and you're not going to fully understand it. Yeah. And so if you're skeptical, your default assumption will be to assume that it's worse. Yes. Um, yes. And that, that can be hard to overcome. Yep. Well, that's, thank you for giving that um, very foundational food for thought. Um, we, we look externally and think that it's going to be, you know, how can we start doing this? And it's all about everyone else and finding, quote unquote, the right person. Um, But often it's, you know, we start with reflecting and turning that mirror back on ourselves and saying, am I ready for this? What is my intention? And, you know, there's a certain level of maturity and self-awareness that sounds like it's definitely part of um, being able to successfully bring in others and make that sustainable business that can be obsolete without you. And there can be a a benefit to the introvert who loves creating processes and who loves thinking of things very granularly to, I I generally believe that the right person construct is a myth and that especially in today's gig economy Mm -hmm. and with the commoditization of boring and the way technology has moved, it's possible to break up the value chain in ways to where, Rather than trying to find one mythical right person, you actually find 
five mm-hmm. right people for five much smaller jobs, yeah. which is much easier yeah. to find than one right person who's going to do all five of those tasks yeah. brilliantly. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you for your generous sharing um, and you know sharing your story with us and especially for giving us, like I said, lots of great food for thought when it comes to how we're building our own businesses. So I really appreciate it. I have a final question that I ask all of my guests. <laughs> okay. And um, and you're so efficient. I know you can take a three-week vacation. Right? <laughs> sure. Um, so, <laughs> so you have been granted a three-week vacation on Introvert Island, and you can only take three books with you. What would you take with you and why? Uh, I think I wouldn't be properly earning my nerd credentials if they were anything too popular. <laughs> uh, so... Um, since since my faith is central to my identity and saying the Bible is one of my books is just too lame for me to tolerate, how about I say uh, Wolfhart Pennenberg's Systematic Theology? Uh, that'll scratch that itch. Excellent. Um, the Ethics of Identity by Kwame Anthony Apaya uh, mm-hmm. is just a fun read that I actually did take with me on my honeymoon um, mm-hmm. to kind of do a little bit of study of identity constructs. And since it's just a three-week vacation, and I am eventually coming back, I'd hate to leave my head too far out of the startup world and of business operations, since that is my passion. So how about uh, Clayton Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma would round it out. Very nice. Excellent. (laughs) Well, we will share links to those on the episode show notes so other people can um, join you in geekiness (laughs) and nerd credentials. (laughs) Sounds great. And um, we'll also be sharing how people can get in touch with you. So um, share with us what's the best way that people can connect with you and learn about your book and everything that you have to offer. Sure. Uh, our, our shtick at Agents of Efficiency is that we do the boring stuff, you do the happy dance. <laughs> so you can find us on the web at wedoboring.com. Nice. And uh, there you can schedule a consultation. We've got a large blog. You can read a primer to live for your DIY called Free to Focus, mm-hmm. the 60-page version of the 280-page book, mm-hmm. totally for free right on our website. And uh, that's really probably the best way to interact. We're also on Facebook and social media as well. Awesome. But. And, of course, the book itself, if someone wanted to read all 280-plus pages, <laughs> uh, they can find that on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold, I would guess. <laughs> yeah, it's on Amazon, Excellent. wherever books are sold. I think it's, it's still in you know the top five in all the categories it's in. So if you're in the entrepreneurship category or whatever, you'll probably find it pretty quick. Live free or DIY. Excellent. Well, congratulations on the success of the book and um, as well as Agents of Efficiency. And thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. It's been fun. There's so much to what Justin shared. I have a feeling I'm going to be unpacking it and pondering it for weeks to come. That's so often true of all of my guests, and Justin is no exception. That idea of defining failure is actually one of the most powerful ones for me. To know where that line is and when it's time to pivot, as my episode 126 guest Jenny Blake might say. There's also the point about reaching out for help, which brings me back to my opening invitation to you to join me for the virtual focus groups that are coming up on September 28th. You can learn more and register for that at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash focus group. And while you're there, take an opportunity to learn more about my book, coaching services, and other resources offered through The Introvert Entrepreneur. If you enjoy this podcast, I invite you to share it with friends and colleagues and to take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or on whichever platform you access it from. Your review helps someone else discover this podcast 
and it helps raise its visibility and just grows the audience and makes us a bigger and better community. So thank you in advance for your consideration. A special thank you to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and my assistant, Naja, for the episode show notes, and to you for spending this time with me. There is really no greater gift that you can give someone than your time and attention. So I'm always appreciative that you choose to spend some of that precious time with The Introvert Entrepreneur. This is Beth Below of The Introvert Entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. <laughs>